podcast name played nobody again in Newport, Rhode Island. This is your extra. This is the bonus. Now, if I was back home, because I married a, a Louisiana, and I would say this is your lanyap episode from Newport. But since I'm up here, we'll just go like extra chowder. I, I don't even want to embarrass myself with a Boston <laughs> accent. Um, I did that plenty um, while I was here because I uh, indulged in some of the local spirits. And I heard it. it took it was, on that local accent. I heard it. It was bad. I thought it was pretty good. I could easily, I could have been like the thirteenth speaking role in The Departed. It's not that hard. You well, I mean, if your words your, are limited to very, you just like, take your eyes and your H's. All right, uh, two conversations specific to this episode. One, Bill Connolly meets his maker, in which he confronts his BS notion that you cannot coach turnovers. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to start with a conversation I had with Chad Morris of SMU. We talked about a bunch of different random things, Bill. Um, and then Connolly, I guess what you came up at the end, and then we got we got into it. We got into the nasty, dirty number situation. You're you're really building this up uh, further than. And then Chad slapped you in the face. Sure. Yeah. Okay. No, he didn't do any of that. Um, he was actually really nice about it. Um, real quick though, I do want to give a shout out. Somebody, one of our listeners, asked if I could ask a question, and I did. I slipped it in. Wow, so I didn't even notice. Robert Olker, um, he sent, I think, just me an email this week and said he had an AAC question for Chad Morris. I won't read the whole email, but basically he says, you know, Chad always gets asked about his Texas high school background, but why not ask him about what he took from Clemson? So it's in there. Um, and so, again, we start, the, we start the conversation. And just so I can set this up, uh, right before we sat down, I was talking with um, some of the guys from, from, from SMU, and they mentioned that Chad Morris actually at one point wanted to quit coaching altogether and become some sort of law enforcement officer, like DEA, FBI. Uh, so growing up an FBI brat, we start talking about that. So that's where the conversation starts. We go football, and, and then, then Connolly comes in, tries to drop kick him in the face with some stats, <laughs> and then you'll see what happens. You took the, you took the FBI application test one time? I did, actually. Now, FBI, what that DEA. DEA? Uh, yeah, I did. Just thought about going into that well, one? Well, when I first got into uh, to coaching, I was trying to figure out how to get out of coaching. You know, I got in <laughs> and uh, got in, I got engaged with my wife. And, um, you know, at that point I was I was taking – my dad was a fireman, was a policeman for a long time and then moved over to the fire department. So I was taking firefighter exams. I was taking DEA exam, FBI exam. Um, so I was doing a lot of things to, to try to see if this is really what my calling is. And so that, that's kind of how it all started. Well, I grew up in an FBI family. That's why I ask. I yeah. think there's probably a good similarity between yes. uh, between federal law enforcement and coaching, at yeah. least at least in the fact that you got to be paid, ready to move about every two or three years. I had a, uh, I had a math background in modern statistics, and so I was using that to... At that time, you know, computer was really computer science, and all that was really into play. And um, so I was, I was, I was waiting on my call to go to Quantico, Virginia. Went through the background check, the whole bit. And, and uh, I remember, you know, having all this happening, and, and our players coming to me and going, "Coach, you can't leave us. You can't leave us right now." And so that's now. What phase is this in the career? This was early on, like first really? first two years. A lot has been made of. Uh, Texas high school coaches and what's going on, how they've sort of taken over in certain corners of college football. So I know you got a lot of questions about that, but what did you take from Clemson coming into this job? What did you learn in that culture? Well, you know, obviously working for Dabo, having a, having a great vision. Dabo has an unbelievable vision, um, and, and you know, learning how to, to to teach your players how to give, how to serve, um, 
and, and, and also the, probably one of the biggest things is, is that, you know, if you just focus on winning, you're focusing on the wrong things. And so taking that, obviously just the relentless recruiting that we did at Clemson, the, the passion to constantly grow, the, the ability to improve your facilities, those things, if you want to be a big-time program, that's what you have to do. And so taking those and, and, and just the, the mindset of, you know, the season starts tomorrow mentality. Um, but, uh, you know, it just uh, just uh, it prepared me that with, with what we've done and, and how we recruited with Dabo and, it's, uh, it's prepared me for, for this you know, for this position. How much helicopter time have you, have you logged lately? Has it been, has it been <laughs> less or more in the off season, or is it just it's keep been it it's been less in the off season? Okay. But, but the tempo copter is uh, he sent me a tweet the other day. He, he's ready to go again. And the pilot? The, the, no, the, the actual copter itself. It's got its own. It's got its own Twitter. It's account. got its own Twitter account. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Wow. So he, so he hits me up. He's got every, a sentient uh, helicopter. He, That's impressive. He, he hits me up ever so often. And, yeah. Uh, and I got to give him a shout out, you know. So yeah. it'll be, uh, it'll be ready to go. I think we're gonna, we're on schedule to use it four, five, six times this year. It'll be, uh, it'll be ready to go. He'll be excited. Uh, what was that reaction like amongst the other high school coaches? I know, obviously, you, you go into first and foremost a rebranding effort on SMU when you get here, but you know all these guys. I'm sure they kind of they had a laugh with you and all that. But then it does kind of quietly intone that. This is real, and you're building something that's that's unlike any other anything that SMU's ever been associated with. Well, you know, I I didn't take over a team that had six draft picks, nine draft picks, or two draft picks. I, I didn't do that. Right. I took over a team that was at the bottom of college football. I knew that coming in, um, and so I knew that it was going to take uh, it was going to take some time. It was going to take some resiliency. It was going to take a, a consistent approach, and so. Uh, uh, but I also knew this, that, that I've won everywhere I've ever been, and our staff has won. And so uh, the only chance we got is to is to win with our Texas high school coaches. Right. Well, I'm one of them. Coach ball with them for 18 years. And so uh, knowing those guys, having their help, it's a... Uh, it's a big part of our success in, in our recruiting. I mean, 47 kids we've signed each of the last two years on signing day, 25 last year, 22 the year before, and um, like all 47 of them are, are from the state of Texas. And so I'm, I'm, you know, we're laying market. We're the only Division One program in our state that can say that. And um, so a Texas tough mentality. What's the – if you just had to stay within DFW, what do you think percentage-wise you, you would pull in terms of – is that almost a self-sustaining ecosystem? Do you try and win Dallas and then go further out? Yeah, or our, our hill market is Dallas-Fort Worth and uh, branching into East Texas, and then we'll drift down to Houston to get some guys, Austin. But, uh, you know, really if we can win our local kids, then you create your local fan base. And, um, and so, you know, just, just really hammering home the East Texas, that's where I'm from. And uh, knowing that, that that's a special part of us. How was San Antonio a couple of weeks ago? It was awesome. Down. I mean, it's it's I've never been. But it's supposed yeah. to be very, you know, it's pretty intense to see that many high school coaches together. We uh, I actually kicked off coaching school. Uh, Coach Rutledge and Coach Martin asked me to, which are our associate directors, uh, and uh, they asked me to kick off coaching school. So I opened up that Monday morning coaching school with about five thousand coaches uh, listening to our talk. Uh, it's about. It's pretty impressive. Is you have about fifteen to eighteen thousand that show up, and um, so very unique fraternity. Very proud to be a part sure, of that. Sure, sure. 
we don't ask as many questions to uh, to Texas coaches about the Texas offense anymore. Is it, do you think that we just hit critical mass and that it's become so varied and different that that stopped being a thing? I, I assume you're not getting the questions anymore because I remember when you were at Clemson, it was he's got that Texas high school style, which is kind of a misnomer yeah. because it, there's no one Texas right. style. Right. It is. I, I think you're seeing more and more teams run it. And uh, because of that, it's becoming more popular, and it's just, you know, it's becoming a, a, a kind of a, a thing of, 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 you know, of what everybody's doing, or a lot of people are doing. But uh, so I, I do. I, I don't think it's it's, uh, it's still unique. Um, it's still uh, it's it's it's, but it still boils down to blocking and tackling the whole thing. Right. Uh, last question. Do you still have your bus driver's license? Are you still up to date on it? <laughs> I do not have my, my CDL license anymore. When did it, I, I let when it, did it go? I let it expire. Really? You know what? I, I don't ever want to have to go drive a school bus again. But but I'll do it if I need to. It okay. was a uh, That eight-hour uh, recertification class that you have to take is brutal. Eight so, hours. Eight hours. So is that the strangest thing as a college football head coach? You, you thought, i got to parallel park a school bus? I, I never thought I'd be doing this. parallel park a school bus and... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You said the math word earlier. Um, this is Sorry, I'm going to jump in. Yeah. Um, so that's not a background a lot of coaches have. Do you think just that extra like level of, of analytical, you know, being able to, to analyze things in that way, does that help you remain unique in the way you're trying to attack other teams? Or Yeah, I mean, I, I love numbers. Yeah. I'm fascinated by numbers. So I majored in math, minor in statistics. And um, I, you know, I firmly believe that the uniqueness of the numbering um, and, and the stats that are involved in it, the percentages, the probabilities, all that fascinates me. And uh, so, yeah, I do. I, I think there's so many things that I ask our, our coaches to do, especially during the season and in the offseason, that uh, uh, provide me with the numbers and the feedback. Because I, I think you can you can gauge a lot when you look at when you look at numbers, not just a one year cross section, but when you cross-section four and five years and, and look at what we've done offensively since getting into college football and, and and how that parlays into what we did last year. You know, we were the second most improved offense in all of college football. We tripled our scoring output, and, and um, man, we did it with, with no depth at all. I mean, none. And so to have depth this year, and um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the numbers do this year. We debate this a lot at SB Nation. What is a uh, you walk in after a game, you get handed probably the, the one sheet, the box score. What does your eye go to first, and what do you not look number at at snaps. all? Number of snaps. Number of snaps. And um, that, that, that's number, that's first and foremost. You know, the, okay. the stuff that I could really care less, how many first downs we got. I, I, I mean, it really doesn't intrigue me. It, it does fall in there, but it's not, okay, I'm here. It's, it's usually uh, number of snaps. And then what was our third down percentage? Yeah. Okay. And uh, conversions on third down. And then all that parlays back to first down. Because if okay. you're high on third down, your you're first down, you're going to be up 22, 23 first downs. And that's telling you keeping the chains moving. Uh, so that that's really number one. And, and uh, then kind of the one I really don't you know, look at that much is you know, 26 first downs. I've had 35 first downs and lost them all game. So that really, and over the grand scheme of things, that – the studies that we've done, your your efficiency on first down, um, plus or minus four yards, has been a big deal. Um, but really, what hadn't been a big deal, and your win, determining the wins and losses, has, has been the 
the 50-50 run pass ratio. That, that really hasn't been – I've been 50-50, I've been 70-30, and, and it, that – Yeah, it seems like we it, get the wrong impression of balance sometimes, but it's well, it being able to do both. Balance is more for, for the coordinator aspect of it. it. It really gives defensive coordinators more problems. Uh, that's yeah. so there's not a direct correlation from wins and losses out of that. It's more of snaps and turnovers. What do we miss? What, what do we in the media miss when we look at those box scores? If total yardage has become almost obsolete, I think people are finally coming around on that one. Is there is there anything else in terms of? I think we. I mean, what we harp on a lot. Third down conversion seems to be one consistent yeah. everyone wants to look at. Um, but you know, I think total yards. Was that a Texas thing? <laughs> Just throwing that out because of the, the way that y'all were able to take apart defenses. Do you think that changed the perception of? That? You know, I do. I really yeah. do. I think that had a lot to do with it. And uh, you know, even when we were at Lake Travis, I mean, we were we were nationally ranked and broke a lot of national records. Garrett Gilbert still holds national records. Um, and, and, and with that, we won a lot of games. But but as you look at it, you know, think about it. I, I don't really think it's. I do. I'm with you. I don't yeah. think it's really much to it anymore. All right, you got to settle debate with. Can you coach turnovers? Can, can you coach can turnovers? You coach turnovers. Absolutely. See? Absolutely. Absolutely. One hundred percent. I'm not. It's an attitude. It's a mentality. Okay. And it's it's absolutely. Now I can tell you how we do it. I can I can promise you this that that there are times that you're in great position. You got the ball secured, perfect, and it still gets out because of a hat on a ball place, and those are rare. Most everything that you look at on a turnover, and again, this is part of a study that I've done. Every turnover that we've ever done in the last six years, I've got it documented. I've got a paragraph written on every one of them. Very, very, very few. The ball's high and tight. Helmet gets stuck on it. It's usually when a kid falls. When he falls, what is the first thing he does? He pulls the ball away from his body. Ball's loose, gets punched out. Um, but and then from a defensive standpoint, teaching our players when to how to how to punch through the ball, how to swat the ball, um, get him held up, stripping the ball out. So, yes. There you go. So for the record. Oh boy. All for right. Got to get. We have this argument. So um, my argument is always, you know, when I'm looking at stats for a full season, you know, there are teams that will recover a ton of fumbles or they won't. Um, or they'll pick off a bunch of passes or drop the picks. It's, it, so to me, it's, it seems to be more of a you can you can teach opportunities, but once the ball hits the ground, there's there's nothing that can be done. See, we're, well, when the ball hits the ground and you're you're in the pile with it, you better come out with it. Whatever you got to do to come out. With it. <laughs> See, that's there. There you go. All right, coach, we appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. See, for the record. David Gibbs and I would would be able to have a nice long conversation without hostility because you got we, owned. We fundamentally agree uh, on the premise it is just you know from a stat perspective which piece of turnovers can be coached and whatnot. See, we're 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 really Chad and I, Coach Morris and I are are, are meant to be best friends. I think is what we learned today. I wouldn't go that far, but he definitely shares your sentiment on the box score. Yeah. Was, it, I guess none none of what he said really surprised you that much. No, I I mean you know. So after the game, you're handed the sheet. You probably are going to look at one or two things and then digest those and move on. Um, the fact that one of these, <clears throat> the fact that he said total yards were basically worthless, that made me that made me feel good inside. Uh, it made me nice and happy. I was um, going to ask this, but I didn't want to interrupt the flow of the conversation. 
in, and I know it's more complicated than this, but when you look at drive efficiency mm-hmm. and how and how you're finishing drives, a short kind of quick and dirty way to do that is third downs. Right. Basically, if it, like he mentioned, third down efficiency and plays, and basically what those two things will tell you is um, how how much how well were you controlling the ball. Um, and then, yeah, how well were you extending drives? Now, obviously, you can drive all the way down the field. I mean, if, if every single one of your drives is um, two plays 80 yards, then plays and third down efficiency isn't going to tell you very much. But you're not going to – if every drive of yours is two plays 80 yards, you don't need to look at the stat sheet at all. You, you know what happened. But in most cases, when you're mostly evenly matched, um, yeah, focusing on – for him, since tempo is part of his game – uh, focusing on total plays. If you ended up with only 68 plays, that probably means the other team was completely controlling the tempo and uh, controlling the ball. And for him and his style, that's not, those are very bad things. So his answer made perfect sense. Okay, so based on what we we discussed with Chad, I immediately got up and then uh, there was an opening at Tom Herman's table. Um, we did the – by the way, again, we're going to plug it one more time. Go to SB Nation. By this, I think by this time the studio video should be up. Played a little rap game trivia with the, all the UH players and Coach Herman. So got a, got a seat next to Coach Herman. Everyone was asking about jobs and coaching candidate and stuff that he can't answer and Big 12 realignment, stuff that he won't answer. Um, we went straight to the box score, right? That's right. I think it was the first thing we said. Well, you, you, you went into the hypotheticals, which really seemed to jazz him up a little bit. Um. And then, yeah, we just went at it. Hypotheticals. I love, dealing, love dealing in hypotheticals. Yes. Nothing nothing more productive than dealing in hypotheticals. I could ask you about realignment six more times. I, I um, would. Yeah. You're going to get the six straight answers. Six same answers. Uh, post-game, you get the stat sheet. First numbers you look at and the first numbers you immediately don't look at. First numbers I look at are turnovers. Um second numbers I look at are yards and the yards don't matter the score is all that matters so like like Bob Diaco would tell you the only stat that matters to him is scoring defense yards yards you know rushing yards passing doesn't matter and then the stat that's it's not on the stat sheet but we compute it pretty fast is explosive plays um, because the if the, the statistics have shown that if you win we call it the double positive in our program if you win the turnover battle and the explosive play battle in the same game, you win that game 98% of the time. Um, now, can you win it with only winning one and losing one? Sure. Um, but if you lose both of them, you only win 2% of the games that you play um, where that occurrence happens. And so those are the two biggest things we talk about. We, we only have four, four goals on our, our plan to win, uh, and none of them have a numeric um, value to them. Uh, the first is play great defense, and that is everybody on the team. That's the offense. Your job is to go out, uh, take the ball, protect the football, make two first downs, and then we'll jog out the best punt team in America. We'll we'll punt it, you know, 44 yard net punt. We'll jog out the best defense in America. Hold them to three and out. Flip the field and go do it again. And so and and. You can't win championships without playing great defense. The next is win the turnover battle um, because that singular stat, not just mixed with uh, explosive plays, I'm sure that even just that singular stat, I don't know, but 
if you win the turnover battle, you're going to win more than you lose, and, and quite a bit more than you lose. It sounds like the first one informs the second one. Essentially, you're preaching a philosophy of, like you said, defense even when you're on offense. You're just trying to – you want to inform, inform we, we, turnovers more than anything else. We play de- great defense with special teams and offense as much as we do with defense. And then by playing great defense, we turn the ball over a lot, or we, we create turnovers a lot. And then so the second one is, yeah, win the turnover battle – the third one, you know, and that's a that's a that's a team. You know, hey, if our offense screws up a couple times, defense, you got to go get it back three times. You know, and, and that's the one game we lost. We we turned it over four times, and the, our team, who led the country in takeaways, took it away from UConn zero times. We lost the game by a touchdown. So a four to nothing turnover ratio, and you lose by a touchdown on the road with your backup quarterback, probably tells you that. It was the four to nothing turnover ratio that that did you in. Uh, third metric that we always look at is score and prevent touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, we don't kick field goals. We go for it on fourth down a bunch in the red zone because the, the stats will tell you that the the, the chance to get seven yeah. is worth the much more is worth the reward of just three. And so, especially when you got a good defense. And then the third is kind of. It's tough to quantify, but we just say win the kicking game. We, we need to be dominant in the field position battle, basically. So that was a long answer. To no, that was, that was yeah. But that's that's what we look yeah. at. Yeah, our, uh, our colleague, Bud, Bud Elliott, has a theory that, um, you know, when I'm writing, writing previews or whatever, I'll look at close game record and kind of balances out over time uh, for a lot of teams. His theory is that quarterbacks, kicking, and coaching are, can give you a little bit of an edge, like having a good bullpen and yeah, you're always going to have an edge if you have a great quarterback. And you're always going to have to overcompensate if you have a bad one in some area of your team, whether it's maybe you've got a great run game, maybe you've got great special teams, or maybe you've got a great defense. But um, you have to overcompensate for a bad one, and you've always got a chance if you've got a good one. And you... Uh so then the coaching part of that, too, I guess maybe like, you guys maneuvered through fourth quarters really, really well. Like, closing games out. Does that just go back to your philosophy of getting a couple first downs, making sure field position's on your side? Or do you think there's a, a, a level of adapting that you guys did better? Than well, I think our coaches do do a great job of adjusting. I think, um, you know, if you look at our – we went our first eight or nine games, we scored a touchdown – touchdown on our first offensive series for nine straight games um, then you go look at our scoring touchdown ratio in the third quarter it's really good as well I don't know it's probably not a consecutive streak like that but it's really good in the first or second drive of the third quarter we're scoring touchdowns and the same is on defense you know we're, we're holding them three three and outs that tells me a our coaches are preparing real well you know the week leading up and B they're adjusting well at halftime. Um, and then I think the fourth quarter part of it, to be honest with you, is a mindset. That's a We're trained better than everybody. Um, we're in better shape than everybody. We're more physical than everybody we play. And, you know, the coaches have put us in this position now with the, the original game plan plus the adjustments. Now let's go finish the deal. What do you define as explosive plays? Uh, we define them. We, no, uh Passes of 16 or more and runs of 12 or more. Okay. Is that aligns with what you do? Yeah, that sounds about pretty right. close, yeah. Some guys do just any play over 20. I think that's 
I mean, if you get a run from 19, a 19 yard run, to me, that's a explosive play. Right. You know? um, and then some guys do any play over 15, you know, to me, the pass, you know, you can throw a bubble and break one tackle and make 15. Is that really an explosive? So we try to, you know, make them a little bit different. But obviously the same metric is used on defense when measuring explosive plays given up. Sure. As because you just want to win that battle against the, the opponent that given Saturday. Uh, no, I mean, that's uh, that aligns, you know, when I'm doing you know, stat stuff or whatever, a lot of it will be based on efficiency, like a success rate type play, and then how big were those successful plays mm-hmm. instead of just getting six yards at a time. I think touchdowns in the red zone is a, and the preventing yeah, I, I, them on I, I defense is huge. I didn't want to run the report by applauding that, but I, there's, so many, there's so many field goal, 19-yard field goals that drive me absolutely crazy. So. Yeah, is, that, you, is that, do you feel like you're still in the minority there? In yeah. Just going I, down I, the red zone? I do. Um, but I've, I've got a, a very aligned staff that, you know, I mean, you'd be surprised how many staffs I've been on or seen where the head coach will tell the offense coordinator to go for it on fourth and four from the 11, and they don't get it, and the defensive coordinator's over there cussing right. them out. And so well, we've got an aligned staff that, hey, if we don't get it, then guess what? Our, our you know, top-tier defense is going to jog out there, having them, you know, pinned inside the 15-yard line, that's a pretty good place to be. You know? And it can inform your play calling. If you know you're probably going to go for it. The major knows it. You, you cross the 20, Mage, we're going for it. You cross the, the 50, and it's fourth and one or two, we're going for it. You know? he, and he knows that. I don't even need to – I do need to say. i, I got to give the order, but it, right. it happens immediately. Okay, so does it make you feel better that the hottest head coach in, in America is also charting explosive plays just like you are? Well, you know, kind of. If he wants my help, I can teach him ISO PPP. I'm sure that would go really nice on the box score. Um, but no, I mean, I think that's, that's something we've talked about before. Explosive plays are one of the things that uh, a box score does not tell you that it would be very easy to track. If we, want, if, if we were to recreate the box score from scratch, it would be a very – uh, one of the top things I think that would help people, um, you know, with that and some of the other things he mentioned, honestly. He basically almost spelled out the five factors idea when he talked about field position and the importance of finishing drives. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll say that's why he is one of the hottest uh, coaching prospects on the market. Playing defense on offense, he kind of alluded to it. I kind of I, I jumped in there on a little bit. That, that I think really comes down to influencing decision making more than anything else from the quarterback and some of the skill positions. Where it's that's really about a kind of drilling in ball security more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Unless you're quarterback and it's really you know making decisions in your passing routes, but. Uh, I mean, turnover battle. He, it was funny because he gave, like, the most Luddite college football coach answer in the world. He's like, well, the only stat that matters is the final score. But, right. then, but, then, he, but then clearly he also has advanced analytics that they look at right after the game. So it's, it's, it's much deeper than well, that. Well, and, and uh, you know, I think there is a, uh, just a general opinion that stats are total yards and first downs and the things on the box score. Because he said, you know, the, the things we track aren't necessarily stats. You know, that was kind of what he said right at the start. Uh, except they very much are, and they can all be measured and are measured. Um, it's just that, it, again, it goes away from the normal box score. And, um, you know, that's why we're – that's why one day this podcast will engineer a, a change in uh, box scores. I think 
I, I don't know if a single coach anymore is looking at total yardage. That's the one that we or at least not just – not just at that, yeah. Just put a bullet in on that one. Um, yeah, I thought it's, uh, it was really interesting that it was he, – he could get – I mean, the dude's Mensa, so he can kind of – I mean, <laughs> this is what he, he sells at. But for as complicated as some of, I think, his system is, it really boiled down to a, like a, a kind of a quick, easy, digestible concept. And that it was really interesting for him – and it's always fascinating to come in and ask him boring stuff that the other reporters like were kind of probably pissed that we were asking. But it talks it speaks more to his philosophy and, and, and his coaching structure and the Meyer influence on him than asking the dude about, you know, whether or not he's gonna take a job that's not open right now. Yeah. You know. Right. I mean that's what I Right. You just don't wanna I, I don't understand the purpose of trying to get the same answers as uh, as everybody else. So we hopefully used our time well there. Um, and I and I do enjoy how casually he can drop f bombs in a conversation. That's um, you know if you can be great at your job and have a little bit of a potty mouth, that's even better, I think. Yeah, I've yet to meet the football coach who doesn't do that. So <laughs> well, he was um, the only one who did it on record today for us. So. Well, you know what? I can tell you what that means in journalism. It means that you were successful in what you were doing, Bill, because you got him to a level of comfort in which he didn't he, that he forgot he was being formally interviewed. So good job. Okay, so that's the that's the standard then from this point forward. If I hear him swearing and then they don't immediately stop themselves, I do know that I've got them at a level of comfort. <laughs> it's almost like a trance-like state, and then they, they, they tend to open up more. Well, well all right. Um, Bill, I am. It, it's been a journey for me. It's been a journey for me. I was home for a couple days in Nashville, but when you throw it all together, it's been something like 20 days on the road. Uh, Pac-12, Big 12, American Athletic Conference, Sun Belt, um, is that it? Did uh, I do another did, did one? A Houston piece well, yeah, I went to Houston. I also went to, and I'm headed actually to another university for another story. So the road doesn't end. I'm quoting Robert Olkeen. I apologize, uh, or at least paraphrasing him. But I will say this: at the end of all the media days, this is this is it. They were the last one. Yeah. In fact, we, we you know we said this on the last podcast. Uh, Tommy Tuberville was speaking to us and then walking out the door because he had practiced that day, flying from Rhode Island back to Ohio. So. Um, I don't know if I saw an overarching theme. It's, I thought it was a little generic at times this year. It's kind of funny how, how boring the Pac-12 was, and they're <laughs> such a dynamic, interesting group normally because they're consistent, they're steady. I mean, really, Baylor dominated everything at Big 12, and then at the last second it, it makes this huge turn, and it's all about expansion from then on out. It's funny, you know, really, the, the SEC storylines are kind of, crystallized a little bit there's nothing too dynamic or fluid that's going on um i think it's going to be fun watching the upper middle class of the big 10 let's say i mean right now based off of the last month and i'm not asking you so much as as the things that you're writing about in your previews but just the the personalities or whatever of substance that you can glean from media days is there anything that you're more or less interested in now because of all this crap I'm trying to derive any value from these Media Days events. And obviously we come here and we network. There's value for us. But, I mean, in terms of the forward-facing part, as a consumer of college football, are you more interested in anything after the last month? Well, I mean, I think what Media Days do is they they very clearly crystallize what the storylines are going to be moving forward. And it's funny, you know, we we do this all all year, and so we'll we'll move on from a storyline in, like, January – and, and try to do all these other things. And then it comes back in, in July when all this starts that, you know, we're, we're talking about those, those things all over again because um, the normal, more rational por- uh, portion of the uh, 
college football watching public does not spend all of January through June talking about it. They, uh, a lot of them will, will dabble in other sports and revisit uh, come July. And we don't do that because this is, a, it's not our job to do that. But um, no, it, 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 the big 12, obviously <laughs> apparently at the drop of a hat, like went from, I just don't see us uh, expanding anytime soon to up, uh, we're going to do it. And we might do four. It's pretty um, close to that, honestly. Cause it really was like, I, I can't remember who it, it which journalist it was who, who you know, tweeted with sourcing that it looked like they were going to pass on this. And then like an hour later, um, Bowlesby and, and Boren come out and say, it's unanimous, we're doing this. And uh, it, it was just nuts. And I think it, was, it, it seemed to be sparked by the, a, a, uh, the ACC network as much as anything. Well, I was, it's, it's funny you say that because I was about to transition. The, 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 I guess we're all kind of sleeping on the ACC right now because they were the – that's the shot heard around the world. If we if we go into re- realignment three, realignment three, we're going to call it sure. Sure. A realignment four, I guess. Um, if that happens, and there's something that's seismic, where you know the CUSA and the AAC and the Sun Belt and the MAC all have to adjust because of what the Big Twelve is doing, and or there's a re- maybe maybe the other thing happens too. Maybe ESPN and Fox are able to you know connive behind the scenes and keep this from happening and right. cause some sort of problem there. All of this was actually started by the ACC's new deal with ESPN, where the Big 12 right. just finally saw how far back they were compared to their brethren. Um, then I look at the ACC and I start thinking about football. We've said it all season they made a bunch of really good hires. But yep. then also, they, I mean, if you're picking a playoff four right now, I think it's hard. You know, I think our friends at Athlon did this, where they had both Florida, and Clemson, Florida State and Clemson in. Yeah. Um, the ACC is the, is the sleeper conversation this whole deal all summer. Well, and, I mean, they're really well positioned this year. I found myself in, in doing these conference previews, um, I found myself very much talking about how the Pac-12 just doesn't, might not have a title, uh, national title contender this year. Now, obviously, if one of them goes 8-1 and one in conference, then maybe they do. But um, I didn't necessarily even see Stanford as a top-five level quality team. Uh, I saw a bunch of top, like, top 15 or 20 teams, but maybe not a top five. Uh, I found myself kind of saying the same thing about the Big Ten. Michigan maybe gets there partially because of the schedule, but it's also possible that Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State beat up on each other, uh, and they all barely miss out. This is a a long way of saying this is a good year to have two tremendous teams and only two tremendous teams. Uh, AAC is going to – or AAC – man, I can't – I know, it's tricky when you you interchange it. The ACC – should have a you know a general ACC lineup here. A lot Just of remember uh, it's two C's for the conference that gave you no lobster. Okay, uh, okay, I I don't think that helps. But um, you know the, this the Atlantic Coast Conference has a lot of top forty teams, but really only two potential top five teams, uh, and they really could get to the finish line at twelve and zero and eleven and one. And I think this is a very good year for that because that will probably get you two teams in. And that is something, too, that we haven't seen. I think we've talked about this before. That's something we haven't seen yet uh, as we deal with the Supreme Court precedent that is the college football playoff committee. Um, we don't know how they're going to handle a situation like that where maybe you have a, a, a one or maybe two lost conference champion uh, versus a, an 11-1 and one conference runner-up. Um, we don't really know how they're going to handle that, if there really is going to be a conference title bump, or if you're clearly one of the three or four best teams in the country, you get in anyway. Um, you know, so that maybe this is the year we see that with the ACC. Maybe this is the year we see that with the SEC, um, with a, you know, an Alabama finish, like a 2013 situation where Alabama finishes 11-1 when somebody else wins the West. So um, I, I do think that those uh, – 
the AAC, the damn it. See? The ACC. You didn't do my lobster trick. Is uh, is is well positioned to make some storylines this year, and I'm um, that that's a really weird thing to say in football. Uh, well, okay, that's not fair either. They've had a title game participant to the last three years, yeah. so so I, I I apologize, but you know what I mean. Drive shy of national their second national championship. That's right. You know years. what I mean. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I don't know if we can take any more big ideas in terms of what's happened in July. I think a lot of it was other than realignment. The ongoing Baylor mess, I think most of it was just a reinforcement of things that we knew in the offseason. Um, but there are a lot of things to get excited about. And when, I feel like we're going back into a dead season now because camps are open, practice is starting. That's a, that's a good dead season. That's no, a, yeah, there's actual small amounts of news happening. Um, and then I feel like it's, it's appropriate now to look at week one. Wow. I just I'm realizing this as I say it to you, like <laughs> – it, it's it's okay now for us to start talking about week one, about football games, and the football parts of the football games. Wow, uh, this feels much more momentous than I was expecting it to. Okay, so Bill, you're going to be on the road. You're finishing up your family road trip. Yeah, I is, we we are. By the way, now uh, now that we've introduced uh, the four year old to the value of expensive seafood. Um, we're going to head back Midwest, but not before we make stops in New York and then probably Philadelphia and Pittsburgh just because it's there. So um, we will be back on Sunday. Uh, I will immediately then resume a normal work week. Uh, Hopefully I won't have fallen too far behind on these SEC previews. I did not get South Carolina out, as I hope to, uh, on this lovely Tuesday. But, um, yeah. South Carolina, (coughs) one of the teams probably the most asked about team in reader mail. Which yeah, you, actually, uh, I mean, it's pretty close between South Carolina. I mean, there's a lot of joke, like the Purdue joke. But I was about to say you're ignoring legit Purdue this. South Carolina questions. We get at least one a week. Yeah, and you know, so maybe hopefully the preview, whenever it does go up, will answer some of those questions. Otherwise, but anyway, so yeah, next week we kind of sort of get back to normal. Uh, you're probably on the road again. Um, TBD, TBD. Okay. Uh, I leave here and go interview a very um, notable head coach <laughs> of a very large program. Uh, for a feature that will be included in our college football package at SB Nation, which I think is up um, either a week or the, either um, the week before the season or the week of. The, the, we, we try to do it two, a full two weeks out now. So basically well, – Don't tell um, me that because now I'm really going to panic because that means my copy deadline is sooner than I thought. So basically if, uh, if, if it goes according to other years, if it goes according to plan, uh, it, it will go out uh, – this is terrifying. You guys are hearing this right now. It's me learning what my deadline is. Monday the 22nd would be, I think, the the, the, the launch date if everything goes according to plan. Um, yeah, I don't like that at all. <laughs> hey, that's that's three weeks. No. you got three weeks, and I, I, I'm here with you now. I've got to go Ugh. home and write a, a soccer story that I completely ditched because I went to Chicago, got a bunch of material for it, and then just dropped it all to the side to, to run to Newport. Um, but anyway... As we complain about our, 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 our miserable existences of uh, being able to write about college football a lot, um, we will be Start back. talking about coffee on the Acilia. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we have already had our co- uh, coffee conversation. For so the we're day. punchy right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, should we – let's just go ahead and bury this offseason right here and right now. Okay. It's over. 
We're going to come back next week. By the way, we got a ton of reader questions in the yeah, interim. I don't know why you guys they've are. They've added up again. Yeah, you guys are you guys are doing a hell of a job. Yeoman's work. Um, we appreciate it, but we, we, we let him back up. We could probably come back next week, barring any major news headline stuff, and just do nothing but questions on a really, a, <coughs> like, a weird variety of stuff. Um, and by the way, thanks for making it a weird, weird variety. We appreciate that. Um, Bill, do you have anything to add? Let's kill the off season. It's dead. I've got um, a little bit more fish to eat, and otherwise, uh, it's time to to kill the off season, dead, and head back to Missouri. Okay, yay college football! We made it. Um, it was touch and go there for a second. <laughs> it really was. I'm gonna come back on the show next week and talk about actual football games. I'm excited to see. So. Um, until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for surviving the off season with us. Bill, do you want to come back and do this again next week? Next week or next year? No, next week. Oh, I thought you meant this, like this hotel. Oh, room. do you want to come back and do AAC uh, next year? Quite, quite possibly. Get some lobster. Okay. You know, new teams, new coaches. It'll yeah, be great. that's right. It'll be <laughs> it'll be super awesome to see Northern Illinois in here. Um, but but yes, let's that was do a this. joke. That was a joke. Don't source me. Don't at me. All right, Bill, do you want to come back next week and do the podcast? That sounds great. <laughs>